Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero on this Thursday afternoon, joined on the phone by Jeffrey Haley, Senior Analyst at Oanda. Now, in Southeast Asia, markets in Indonesia, Singapore and Thailand were closed in observance of a public holiday yesterday. The Nikkei 225 in Japan rose 0.31% on the day to 28,642 points, while the Topics Index ended the trading day fractionally higher at 1,920 points. South Korea's Kospi dipped around 0.1% at the close to 3,168 points. Now, we've caught you up to speed on what happened yesterday. Mainland Chinese stocks also closed. Mix will might talk more about that. But today here in Singapore, uh, the STI up 0.41% to 3,158 points. I promised you on Tuesday that we would take a broader look at the region. And so we bring Jeff Haley in for that conversation. Jeff, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. I'm uh, happy to be broad. <laughs> now, the yeah, well, maybe not so broad. Maybe we want you to deep dive, but we'll see. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand announced yesterday that it would maintain the current stimulatory monetary settings until its inflation and employment targets were met. Following that announcement, the New Zealand dollar jumped more than 1%, which is good news, I suppose, strengthening further from levels below 0.72 seen earlier this week. Now, Singaporeans like investing in New Zealand. So what does this mean for us? Uh, But this one's a very interesting one because the RBNZ is joining a very small club made up of Canada and Norway and suggesting that they may start rate raising rates uh, in the second half of the year next year. And it's interesting that we see that the currency jumped 1% immediately on on that. And and they put a lot of caveats in that forecast, I might add. There was enough uh, Teflon in it to make a politician's eyes roll with joy. Yeah, it It was that slippery. But... I, I guess it does more than likely mean that the currency is going to appreciate, but I believe most of the appreciation will be seen against the Australian dollar, not necessarily against the US dollar, which actually strengthened uh, quite notably uh, overnight. The other side of that coin is that if uh, the currency rises too much, which the Reserve Bank won't want to see, then that would negatively impact uh, New Zealand's uh, export performance. I'm sorry. Uh, so, you know, these things all have uh, checks and balances on them. I don't think it means much uh, for Singapore initially. I think you know, Singapore and New Zealand's uh, relations are, are very, very strong and they continue to be so. And I'm sure that when more bubbles happen, that Singapore will be at the top of the list with, with, with New Zealand. I do believe it means that we may uh, have seen the lows in Kiwi Sing, the Kiwi Singapore cross for now and um, that we're going to see that cross move back above parity having been uh, around about 9.96 for quite a long time so although you can't go on holiday to New Zealand at the moment if you could your holidays might be about to get more expensive and if you buy New Zealand lamb in Singapore it might get a bit more expensive as well if that's possible that's basically what it means to the Singaporean investor it might be more expensive for us to go have a vacation there once we can and if we're thinking of investing in property it might just be a tad richer for us yes and let's face it I mean New Zealand property is up about 40% in the last two years so for investors and, and 
property in New Zealand, which Singaporeans are allowed to do, uh, yeah, it's already got a lot more, a lot more uh, expensive. But I, I think when you compare New Zealand property prices to New Ze- uh, to Singaporean ones, many Singaporeans would still say it looks quite cheap. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot of the world looks quite cheap in comparison to our local property prices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, now you also raised a very interesting thing um, between the Aussie and the new and the Kiwi dollar that there might be um, some movements there. This is also interesting to the average Singaporean. Now Australia's economy has been looking pretty strong in recent weeks. What does that mean? for us sitting here watching that movement? Uh, look, I, th- I think, uh, like New Zealand, uh, perhaps even more so, Australia is an attractive investment destination. CapEx numbers, private CapEx numbers came in this morning uh, much, much higher than expected, so companies are preparing to invest uh, in the months ahead. Very, very strong fiscal stimulus coming from the government, quantitative easing there. The procession of strong economic data, high commodity prices, is not for nothing is it called the lucky country. It's got everything running for it right at this moment. Even this uh, Victoria lockdown that was announced today yet again uh, has, has hardly dented the markets there. I think they're getting quite used to that situation as well. So... Uh, I think uh, from a, from an investment perspective, Australia looks um, looks quite quite attractive, and their borders aren't even open yet. So once tourism and education comes back there, that story gets better once again. I think the real divergence here is that the Reserve Bank of Australia is lower for longer, like the Federal Reserve. They're not signalling at all that they are intending to hike rates at any time soon, uh, as opposed to the Reserve Bank in New Zealand. And that's why I believe that there may be some shorter-term pressure on the Aussie Kiwi Cross because of because of those perceived uh, perhaps changes in rate differentials. But uh, I think in the overall picture, uh, Australia still uh, looks like a very uh, attractive place indeed to invest. So no break for the Singaporean parents or investor looking for a cheaper Aussie dollar? No, no, or a cheaper Aussie house, because you won't find one of those either in Australia. Oh, well, one can hope. (laughs) I, I, I knew about the Victoria lockdown. My son is studying there, and every month his uh, school fees and cost of living goes up for me. Yeah, we've had to pay for one daughter to do five years at university as well there. And, um, yeah, I, I stopped calling them by their names. I called them cost center one and two and just yes. stopped crying about it. So it's not cheap, that's for sure, and it probably won't get cheaper in the future either. Oh, well, he better get A's is all I can say. <laughs> Well, it was much the same uh, comments for me as well, actually. But luckily they did. (laughs) Good for you. Now, let's talk about your favorite topic of the day, oil. Now, prices were higher in the afternoon of yesterday's Asia trading hours uh, with the international benchmark. Uh, Brent crude rising a little bit. Uh, U.S. crude futures gained a little bit. Uh, Break this down for us. Are we going to see Brent hovering just below 70, maybe even crossing $70 a barrel going into the middle of the year? Yeah, I I believe this is the case. Now, my caveats on this one are the trajectory of the recovery. So, I mean, China is still on a recovery track. Europe is picking up pace uh, because of its vaccination programs. The UK is a success ongoing success there, as is the, the US. So there's, uh, you know, three big key trading blocks there that are the drivers of uh, world growth. 
that are on a recovery trajectory. It would take, I would think, a sudden change in the pandemic outlook, forcing more extended lockdowns in any one of those three regions of the world to change uh, the the outlook for, for the global recovery and by default uh, the outlook for oil consumption. So, I mean, aviation fuel is still going to remain a, a weak spot, but we saw inventories fall yesterday uh, in, in, in the United States yet again, including refined products. So I think that the actual outlook underlyingly for, go- uh, for coal, for oil remains, uh, remains quite strong. And I think we'll see Brent continue. I think that the new trading range into the second half of the year is going to be more like 70 to $75. And that's even if Iranian production comes back uh, to the market officially, um, as it looks like it, it will happen. All right, so good news for some people, not so good news for others. Well, if you've got a car, it might start getting a bit more expensive to fill it up. <laughs> right, okay. Now, there is an opinion that gold is still relatively cheap as an investment opportunity and could keep rising. Now, I, I last looked at gold this morning, saw it trading down a bit, uh, 1,893, that was down at that point, 0.41%. What are your thoughts? Is it a good play? Yeah, look, uh, I think we're seeing gold uh, moving, uh, it moved lower overnight along with oil. The, the dollar rallied and, and stocks fell initially in Asia, but they've since uh, recovered mostly. And I think that is because we've got quite a lot of US data tonight in, in the short term. Markets have been buying into this global recovery, low inflation trade all week, and we saw that momentum just ebb uh, into the early parts of Asia and some profit taking coming in. Gold itself, though, looks really constructive. I, I've been saying for a few months now that gold traced out a long-term low around 1680 in March, and here we are just shy of $1,900. It seems to have found some of its inflation hedging mojo back, uh, and a weaker dollar in recent times has helped as well, as has the fact that U.S. yields, uh, bond yields, have not moved higher. Now, I, I had expected myself U.S. bond yields to move higher as inflationary expectations rose, but that's not been the case, and that's been a real boost for gold. And I think since it broke 1800, we've seen a lot of new investor money coming to the market. So the pullback looks corrective today, but I think as long as that that perception in the markets that inflation remains uh, transitory and, and and not and not sort of the sticky wage price inflation, then uh, we're going to see gold continue to edge higher. Um, up into the mid-1900s. Right. And that's over the next, would you say, next few months? Uh, no, no, I'd say that in the next few weeks, actually. Oh, in the next, yeah, so if you're talking longer term, it starts getting a little more cloudy, to be honest. Uh, right. and, and this really comes down to a question is, is the inflation that we're seeing in the world transitory inflation caused by supply chain disruptions and a demand surge as the, as the world reopens, and thus it's going to sort of pass through the system and, and peter out after a period of time? Or is this the start after 20 years of concerted sort of wage price spiral sticky inflation? We just don't know the answer to that question yet. I think if we see, if it's the latter, if it's the sticky wage price uh, uh, spiral inflation, uh, then we can see gold actually move substantially higher into the year end, substantially higher, like well into the 2000s. If it's the transitory style inflation, which isn't going to provoke central banks in the world to tighten monetary policy quickly and raise interest rates, 
uh, which I think they had very little power to do anyway, then um, I, I can see gold moving up towards the $2,000 level, but I don't think it's going to advance much past $2,000. All right, so still room if you want to hold on to a medium-term investment to consider it. Yeah, definitely, least. definitely, and but it really depends on you know how the world Everything goes. Else. And, 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 yeah, and, and and the thing is, we just don't have enough data at the moment from what we're getting around the world to draw any strong conclusions. And I get asked this constantly, and my answer really is. We just don't have enough data yet to draw a firm conclusion. But those are my two scenarios that I'm, I'm looking at. All right. Now, you touched on this. Let's take a deeper look at it. Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, all among Asian manufacturing economies that have been reporting rising COVID-19 numbers in the past few weeks. This could affect global supply chains. And that does raise the issue of inflation, which might rise quicker in the U.S., uh, if the supply chains are compromised in any way, shape or form. What are your thoughts on that, really? Yeah, this, this is potentially the case. And I mean, we can see in Malaysia, they're in a world of pain at the moment. Thailand's been grappling with it. And in fact, I could say just about all of Asia, except for uh, China, uh, seems to be having COVID-19 issues at the moment. It's made a very rapid comeback. And I'm surprised it hasn't uh, did, um, degraded here in Indonesia as well. Uh, whether that stays that way or not is a, is a bit of an open-ended question. But I think what we need to understand is that there's disruptions in the supply chains. Again, that will only lead to transitory rises in prices. It's not going to be the start of this endless cycle of ever-increasing, rapidly increasing prices. This is one-off events. And as Asia as a whole gets on top of this current outbreak, those pricing pressures will ebb as supply chains catch up. So I don't think at this stage we have to start having sort of inflation nightmares because of it. Obviously, for the people at the front lines of this in these countries, the situation is somewhat different uh, from a personal perspective, though. So it sounds like you're saying keep your eye on it, be a little bit cautious, but no reason to panic, at least just yet. Yeah, I mean, it would need to. I would need to see um, huge national lockdowns over two or three months By to your start. Time. Yeah, I would have to. I'm saying I would have to see that. Yeah, and yeah. I and I empathise with all those parents out there returning back to homeschooling. Um, so a big hug to all of them who are listening. But um, you know, that would change the growth outlook and recovery outlook from a data perspective on the, uh, the Southeast Asia region, but Asia as a whole, ex-China, um, and we're not seeing evidence of that yet. So I think as long as the US and Europe and China remain on track, that will underpin the global recovery, and these will all be localised situations. But again, as I said, I think that Asia, particularly ASEAN, is a great growth place for the global recovery in the second half of the year. And, you know, things would have to be locked down for a long time to change that outlook for me, which I sincerely hope they don't. Right. I sincerely hope they don't either. I'm getting really tired of not playing golf. (laughs) First world problems. Depends on who you're asking, Jeff. (laughs) Well, it gives a new new nuance to the word handicap. Well, I've always been that, at least on the golf course. I'm Clarissa Montero. I've been speaking with Jeffrey Haley, a senior analyst at Oanda. This has been Market View on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.